Hello, I'm Tim Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace, and with me today is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater, New Features Editor Bella Richards, and we have a special guest in Production Executive uh, Chris Mayle. Uh, Bella is our New Features Editor Aerospace, so welcome Bella. Thank you, glad to be here. And welcome Steve. Hi Tim, good to see you again. And welcome Chris. Thank you. Uh, who we're talking to later. So welcome to Aerospace NOTAM, another edition of our regular series of new podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and spaceflight news and what we have upcoming in the next issue of Aerospace, October 2023. In the magazine we cover everything from GA to spaceflight, from airliners to airports, from air law to eVTOLs and it's been another busy month. Uh, so uh, where have we been? Uh, Steve, you've been globetrotting around the world, haven't you? I've had a whistle-stop tour to Japan over the last week or so. Wow. Um, went down to uh, the uh, Emerging Technologies Forum from, from ICAS, uh, which was really interesting, looking at uh, eVTOL, urban air mobility, vertiports, everything connected with that from an engineering point of view. Um, and also spent some time with JAXA, um, oh. which is the, uh, effectively the Japanese equivalent of NASA, looking at uh, some of their exciting projects that range from hypersonics through to quiet sonic, sonic booms and all sorts of interesting stuff that we'll come to in a future issue of the magazine. Brilliant. Okay. And Bella, you were off meeting some NASA astronauts, is that right? I was. On my second week at this job, Tim sent me to Germany and I got to... Um, yeah, meet some NASA astronauts who are going to the moon next year for Artemis II um, and their main kind of reason for going there was to meet with the people developing the European Space Service Module um, which is obviously servicing uh, the spacecraft to get to the moon um, and that was really cool, it was, it was a really great thing it was at the same time when Germany signed the Artemis Accords um, and it was really just to get to ask the astronauts questions and, you know, airbuff and everyone behind it. Um, that was really fun. Got to see the clean room from a distance, um, from a window. But, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a great time um, and got to speak to a lot of people. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so uh, while, while these people were, pair were, were globetrotting the world, I was, uh, I was in the, uh, the glamorous thing of uh, the, the Docklands, uh, oh. <laughs> visiting the DSCI, uh, so Defence Exhibition uh, Summit uh, there in the Docklands, uh, very packed, very busy. Obviously, the uh, war and the conflict in Ukraine has given that uh, a special... Uh, you know, kind of importance boost um, and uh, GCAP, uh, Global Combat Air Program, was, was, was kind of front and centre there. But also lots of lots of interesting tech around about kind of drones and uh, those sort of things. Uh, and interestingly, also, uh, you know, the, the the DSCI is known for lots of arms protesters every uh, every 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 time it happens. And this time there wasn't any. So I wonder whether that has sort of changed the, the, the war in, in, in Ukraine has changed people's perceptions slightly there on, on uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. And the other thing I went to as well was our future flight summit, which mm. was a huge success. You know, advanced air mobility. Uh, two days of uh, high-level, uh, you know, conference uh, presentations and uh, cool aeronautics. Uh, really, really uh, exciting stuff. Uh, a lot of the top names are there: Lilium, Joby, um, and uh, Vertical Aerospace, uh, and a fantastic, uh, you know, fantastic event. So, yeah, I think that's going to be coming back in 2024 as well. Brilliant. Right, okay, so uh, let's have a look at what's been going around the global aerospace and uh, aviation space news. Uh, so, Steve, what's, what's caught your eyes this month? Pat news pages, as always. Um, 
regular listeners will know I'm going to go for a GA story, but it's GA with a <laughs> GA with a bigger twist in that it's a company called H2Fly. Um, have had a um, hydrogen-powered aircraft for quite a while. It looks like two gliders joined together with a single engine in, in the middle, a bit like the old uh, F-82 twin Mustang type, uh, type format. They've now flown this on liquid hydrogen, mm-hmm. um, which I think is uh, you know a, a, a really really big leap now. Um, they've shown that they use cryogenically liquid, cryogenically frozen liquid hydrogen in place of gaseous hydrogen, mm. and by doing that, they can double the range of the aircraft. So I think this is a big leap. You know, we've uh, we've talked about this for a while. It'd be interesting to, to do a bit of a deep dive at some point into the tech they've done to do this and, and what applications this is going to have moving forwards. Sure, brilliant. Okay, Bella, what, what about you? Yeah, there was a lot of good news um, or interesting news. I think, as always, Starship interests me. Um, yeah. I feel like they're at the point where they're one step forward, but then two steps back. Um, so, you know, only days before, oh, days after Elon Musk said, you know, Starship is ready to go again. Um, the FAA uh, claimed it had finished its investigation um, into the launch mishap. Um, and obviously, to clarify, SpaceX overlooks that investigation and the FAA just approves it. Um, but they said they looked at it, but they, they made it really clear. They're like, this doesn't mean they're launching yet. Not yet. Um, they wanted to make that very clear in the press release. Um, so they've, I guess, signed off on the investigation, um, but they're still waiting, obviously, for approval for another license. And then further than that, they're waiting for the um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to approve the corrections. And they said it could take between 30 to 135 days to review. Mm. So we'll see. Um, I guess there's always updated stuff. So we're wait- basically waiting for some, some rare frogs. Is that the... Is that the <laughs> ocelots. It was ocelots, ocelots, wasn't it? I seem to remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, They had to get, donate some money to an ocelot to yeah. reserve. Yeah, okay. I know, yeah. But hopefully that changes soon. Um, but yeah, I, that's amazing. Wow, okay. So, I mean, the, the thing that's caught my eye has, has been, uh, so there's been obviously lots of stories coming out of, uh, out of uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia, uh, but particularly, particularly bizarre or intriguing was uh, Russians placing uh, uh, tires uh, on, uh, you know, car tires on, on their bombers at uh, strategic uh, bomber bases. Uh, so, bears and, uh, uh, you know, kind of turning up even SU-34s with, with uh, tires on the top surfaces. Uh, so obviously these the bomber bases have been attacked in Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, or possibly inside Russia by saboteurs using short-range drones. Uh, I think it's actually a, a, a cardboard drone developed by an Australian company that's uh, been fragging mm-hmm. some some of these uh, some of these uh, bombers on the ground. So the question is, is, it, is you know, is that some sort of um, you know kind of anti-drone armour that they mm-hmm. improvise there? Or is it a thing to stop, um, to confuse uh, synthetic aperture rate from satellites, for example? You know, yeah. you, you, you blur the, uh, you know, the, the automatic image recognition or the, the, the radar image from, from space. Um, not really, not sure, but also they, they're putting on they're putting on on bombers that are out of service as well. I mean, there's, mm, there's bombers okay. there that are on the satellite imagery that have got their engines removed. And also... And also, if you're putting on on the bombers, uh, you know the, int- the amount of tyres they're putting on top of the of a bear, that's going to take a while to pre-flight it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, indeed. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting uh, sort of like you know uh, development. And um, you know, it's if it works, uh, and it lo- if it looks stupid, but it works, it's not stupid. No, good idea. Yeah. Um, so talking of Russia, talking of Russia, I've got another stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
we had something in the magazine a couple of months ago where Aeroflot had allegedly told their crews that they were going to reduce the number of brakes on the aircraft because of spares availability. And initially when I saw this story, I thought that might be connected, but it appears not. There's a Ural Airlines A320, which you may have seen, um, that landed in a yeah. field in Siberia. And my initial thoughts when I saw the photographs was it had run off the end of the runway because of a brake failure, but it's not. turns out that it had had a... Well, from the scant information and misinformation that's available, it looks like it had some sort of hydraulic problem. Uh, and then effectively ran out of fuel and they've landed this thing in a field. It quite literally went off-roading. Um, as we record this, which is uh, towards the end of September, the aeroplane's still in the field. They haven't taken any bits off it, and the general feeling seems to be they're getting ready to take this thing off out of the field. And there is some supposition that they're waiting for the field to freeze over. But wow. I'm not sure where that stands in the SOPs, but... Um, <laughs> It's going to be a very brave crew, and I'm, you know, I think the insurance company are going to be a little bit doubtful about this one as well, but um, I think it's a case of hold my beer and watch this. Let, let's off-road. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean first off, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, kudos to the, to the crew to getting that down yeah. on a, yeah, on a field and, 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 uh, yeah. and, and no injuries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, A320 now qualified for, for grass landings. <laughs> um, Bella, uh, what, what else have you uh, spotted? Yeah, I think as an Australian, um, <laughs> I have to bring an Australian uh, angle into this. I think it's been a big few months for Qantas. Um, yeah, there's been a lot happening. I mean, at first with uh, the CEO, Alan Joyce, prematurely stepping down two months earlier than he was planning to just with uh, you know everything going on. And then further, Qantas is part of a... Um, Senate investigation in Australia uh, looking into why Alan Joyce backed plans to deny Qatar Airways increasing flights Ooh, in yeah. Australia and this, uh, I, I believe mostly they denied it because of, um, if anyone can recall the 2020 strip search of Australian women at the um, Hamad International Airport and there's been a lot of issues between Qatar and Australia since then um, but I think a lot of people are upset at Qantas or any of the others involved in denying these flats because it proves to be anti-competitive and then ultimately it would eventually increase fares. And so, um, yeah, there's just been a lot happening with Qantas and I feel like... Um, it, I was reading a New York Times article yesterday about how Qantas used to be this really beloved airline in Australia and hopefully they'll get back there but they have just lost a lot of there's been a, a lot of lost faith in them um, even just with in 2020 when they uh, sacked a bunch of their staff and then found out that they were outsourcing different staff yeah. so yeah it's been a sad few months for my <laughs> beloved Australian airline do you, think, do you think the new CEO will turn it around? I hope so I mean already there's been um, some good investments a few days ago they announced that there was spending an additional $80 million, um, on top of already $150 million into improving passenger pain points um, to improve the customer experience because I think customer experience has, by extension, gotten worse just with everything else. So, I mean, hopefully, but it's, I think it's early days, so we'll see. Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting how it's turned around into, uh, you know, Australia's favourite airline and, and a lot of goodwill to yeah. um, really be kind of like a, a, a kind of a national hate yeah. symbol. <laughs> so, um, on a more positive topic, uh, <laughs> we got a, 
uh, a nice story that's uh, popped up about a uh, an attempt to fly around the world in a solar powered airship for 20 days. Uh, that's sort of Jules Verne style adventure around the world in 20 days uh, <laughs> with the with uh, famous uh, pilot and adventurer Bertrand Picard, who is uh, Solar Impulse, part of the Pulse Solar Impulse. Uh, this time he's two, joined by two other people. Uh, and uh, they're going to do, try and do a, a solar-powered airship which will fly around the world. Oh. Uh, so zero for zero emission flight uh, and uh, construction of the air, airship in 2024, flight testing in 2026, um, and uh, then they're also talking about hydrogen f- uh, fuel cells on, on board as well, uh, so uh, deliver power to the airship's motors at night. So well, That's a bigger picture, though, isn't it, where the, you know, solar impulse was a great thing for going around the world and proving the point. This, I think, has got a commercial application as well. Yes, they're they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, kind of uh, sort of licensing, I think, or maybe, maybe, you know, uh, taking it further once they do the, uh, once they do the the, uh, the around the world flight. I mean, it's it's interesting from the future of flight, uh, uh, something we had, Ocean Sky were there, and that was absolutely fascinating. The the chap there was talking about uh, using Airlander to, uh, to fill VIP cruises to the, the the North Pole, which mm. is but his that's his that was his initial plan. He basically wants to bring airships back in a big way yeah. uh, mm. and scale them up to 500 meter cargo airships. Wow. Okay. Um, because once you get to that size, it's a bit like container ships. Once you get that size, yeah. like the economies of scale really kick in. Yes. Mm. Um, so he's he's all for this pioneering a uh, like a light in the air revolution and, and uh, yeah, bringing airships back in the 21st century. All right. So that's for it for news now. Now we've got a special segment uh, this month. In we've got a special guest, and it is uh, productions executive Chris Mail, who is retiring after three decades. At the Society. Uh, Chris, welcome to NOTAM. You haven't appeared on here before. No, I haven't, thank you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I've got a degree in aeronautical engineering and I then joined British Aerospace for 13 years in the Future Projects Office. Uh, when Hatfield closed down, uh, I was fortunate enough to come to the Society. I gave it four years and uh, <laughs> ended up staying 30. Wow, okay. What, uh, what was publications like there? Oh, it was much simpler days. Um, the internet hadn't been uh, invented, or at least not, it didn't reach as far as the Aeronautical Society. <laughs> uh, there weren't even networks within the building, so we were it, uh, computer independent, and uh, it was a non-digital age that we relied on photographs being sent in by manufacturers, which had to be scanned in, uh-huh. we then fitted them on the page, and before we could send them off to the printers, we had to delete all the pictures from the Quark document right, to, to fit on a floppy disk. <laughs> oh, floppy disks. Oh, One yeah. article at a time on a floppy disk. Wow. <laughs> and then send the article, which we marked up on a, on a print-off with the sizes of all the pictures. Okay. And then sent the pictures with the uh, print off to the printers. Wow. <laughs> and hope they, they got it all right. So wow. you sent the original prints that yeah. you'd received? All the original prints, wow. which were returned a couple of months later. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> so what, what, what kept you in the society all this um, time? You've survived, you've, you've survived five, five uh, editors. Five, five editors, indeed. It, it appealed to my artistic streak, which is a uh, not very thick streak. But um, I got very satisfied paging up articles creating them, nurturing them, fitting or locating images. Mm-hmm. Very satisfying. 
And, and meeting, meeting some, of the, some of the greats and the legends of, of aerospace, there were yeah, quite yeah. a few of these legends still alive. Uh, Sir Peter Macefield, for, for instance, Lord Kings Norton. And I was privileged enough to meet some of them and talk to them. Uh, Winkle. Winkle Brown, yes. We had many a conversation. Uh, and uh, what, what, what about favourite memories? Because uh, you, you came out a few times to, to Paris, Close Air Show. I did. Um, most of my favourite memories weren't particularly favourite at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we used to walk miles and miles and miles all day and then mm. face that long walk back to the metro station. Mm. Um, but looking back with years in between, they were great days. Mm. Yeah, very Fun. So we're how has the industry changed over the years? Because you know, we're, we're on the verge now of EV tolls and hydrogen power. Did you ever think that was on the horizon 30 years ago? Or what was promised that never appeared? Mm. We had uh, the chief NASA scientist come here and gave a lecture once. Mm-hmm. And he predicted EV toll. Oh, really? Wow. It wasn't called EV toll in those days. These were vehicles that we parked alongside motorways. And a pilot, not a pilot passenger would climb in, press a few buttons and off it would go completely automatically wow. with no intervention. We thought this was science fiction. <laughs> and lo and behold, it seems to be coming to pass. Wow. Well, very exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And with uh, what's happening in, uh, with SpaceX and what they're doing, wow, this mm. is the time to be in the aerospace industry. Brilliant, <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. What, what else has, has changed over the uh, years then here at the Society? Here at the Society? We've become, I think, very slick, very professional. Um, Our values are still there as they were 20 years ago when I first started and uh, even longer before that. Um, The staff have always been amazing. Uh, It's it's been a privilege to work with some of the people here over the years. Um, It's what uh, really was special. Hmm. Fantastic. Well, uh, you know, um, re- really, really great to have you. Uh, you know, work with you all these all these years. Uh, you and me go back uh, quite a while. Uh, twenty odd years. Uh, yes. Twenty odd years, and uh, wish you a, ha- a very happy and fully retirement. Mm. Thank you. And uh, all luck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you. Right. So, uh, so the October one was the last uh, the last one you were working on. Uh, that's, right. that's right. And so, what, what features we got in the October issue to look forward to? Um, Steve, let's see. We got we got a great front cover, haven't we? Oh, the, the, the front cover yeah. is amazing. Uh, it's um, yeah. I've done two features in this magazine, both of which have been um, involving wings. So I've been winging it quite literally, winging it this month. Some some would say I've been doing that for a while, but. Um, uh, the first one, which is our cover uh, feature, is about Airbus's Wing of Tomorrow. Yep. Um, so I went down to Filton, um, the uh, new wing development centre down at Filton near Bristol. I uh, had a look round there and looked at some of the projects that Airbus are working on. Now, a lot of it's under strict IP control at the moment, but yeah, we're looking at fo- folding wingtips, um, looking at um, the, the aeroelastic wing, which um, Airbus are looking to put onto a citation. So... Um, Effectively, all of this is taking inspiration from nature. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's biomimicry. Um, and um, you know, I asked the question when I was down at Felton, we're looking at you know, developing folding wings. Well, the Navy have had folding wings for nearly a century. You know, aircraft carriers, are, you know, look at the fairy gannets. With, you know, it looks like, like a Venetian blind, doesn't it, when the wings all folded up on it. But, of course, the point is that 
if you need to launch off an aircraft carrier and, and, and the wing doesn't lock down in place, you push it to the back of the carrier, you get another one and you go. You've not got 300 passengers waiting and you've not got that commercial pressure of, of moving through. Mm -hmm. So um, what they're looking to do is create technology which will enable the wing tips. And they're not yet decided whether it's just the tip or whether it's inboard. Yeah. And, of course, there's problems getting any sort of flying control control across the, the boundary between yeah, yeah. Where, where the fold is so yeah, there, there is possibility of moving winglets at some point in the future but really really interesting stuff um, and then I've also been looking at the blended wing body yeah. um, which is something again which um, has been talked about for many years and um, we think possibly the technology is now has caught up and um, we saw recently that Jet Zero in the States yeah. uh, got the contract to, uh, to build a, a full scale flying prototype blended wing body aerial refueler for the US Air Force and I think that is interesting in that there are parallels there that go back to the Boeing 707 you know if you look at the 707 that was effectively a private venture by Boeing that was proved as an aircraft aerial refueler first and the Dash 80 which eventually became the 707 so I wonder whether we're looking at something similar here yeah are Boeing looking at using this technology or other company, I know Northrop Grumman are involved. There's lots of research into different areas at the moment. Is this government funding coming in which is going to potentially help the entire industry? I mean, the, the key question there, I think, would be who would be the prime? Because Jet Zero on its own is, I don't think it's going to be able to take that and, and manufacture it and yep. turn it into an airliner. Uh, their, their first priority would probably be you know, USAF. Yep. Um, so they're going to need a partner for that. But in, in terms of a civil, uh, in terms of civil design, at least for the US, I mean, Boeing's got their hands full already with trust-based wing. Yep. But it's interesting there. There's two, two X planes, full-size X planes from the, from the from the US uh, going forward. Wing of the future, obviously, is going to be on the, this citation as a sort of a, well, it's, it's full scale, but it's kind of scaled down from yep. uh, you know a, a narrow-body airliner. But yeah, really shaping up really, really, uh, really nicely there, uh, Bella. You've got an article in this in coming in in this month, haven't you? Yeah, I do. Um, the yeah, in a nutshell, it's about uh, the launch capacity crisis, as it's being called, um, and pretty much how there are a lot of an endless amount of satellites um, being developed, but getting them up to space is going to prove difficult. With uh, not not that there's a lack of rockets and a lack of launches at this point, but right now it's just a bit of an awkward time. Um, quite a lot of legacy rockets are retiring. Um, obviously, Ariane spaces, Ariane Five, um, Atlas V, um, and then obviously Northrop Grumman's uh, final Antares 230 launched in August. Um, and so there's going to be kind of a a bit of a break where there's a lot of satellites but not a lot of capacity to launch them into space. Um, so yeah, I wrote an article uh, kind of based off a McKinsey and Company um, uh, report where they were talking about what this could look like if there is the, project, the projected 27,000 active satellites going to be in orbit by the end of the decade, how, how it'll impact Europe um, if we're relying too much on SpaceX because, yeah, yeah. you know, with Starship, and that could be that'll be great, obviously, but there is a maturity gap where yeah, yeah. you know the launch cadence won't be at its fullest for a little while. And I think that there's this fear of everyone's building satellites, thinking that's going to be ready, you know, soon. But it's going to take a while. Um, so yeah, just looking at uh, how how this all came about, how we kind of it was something unexpected that things would move so rapidly. Um, 
Yeah, but ultimately, I think, although although it proves to be a bit of an issue, I think it's a good problem to have. And it's awesome to see that we have so many satellites, mm. so many, um, you know, space innovations that need to get up into space, but how they'll get there is... Well, we've also had Virgin Orbit uh, yeah. uh, kind of go burst, <laughs> uh, and uh, Rocket Lab had a, had a failure yeah, recently. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, pent-up demand. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah... Um, yeah, well, so I've, I've, I've also got an article in there, uh, Phase R35, that is a, a, a HAPS, a solar-powered uh, uh, UAV from Beer Systems that first flew in, uh, well, it flew, was flying in the summer, uh, and it went to first flight to the stratosphere of back. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you might ask, uh, so other people have done the same thing, but they, they used a very, very clever uh, way of uh, getting up there by using LIDAR and weather forecasting, highly sophisticated weather forecasting to really uh, kind of clear out, not clear out a route, but, but see where the clear air was in order to spiral this very, very light, very spindly solar-powered uh, uh, vehicle up through the lower layers of, layers of atmosphere to get up to the top. Where the air is more, it's more benign, and you you can you can then put it to work. So really interesting stuff how they how they did that, and they've so, seem to have solved one of the major sort of challenges there. Of you've got these these, these great sort of haps, uh, you know, perpetual, you know, to be up there for months at a time. But how do you get them from the ground to the stratosphere while going through this sort of like turbulent air, well more turbulent air? Because they're really fragile craft, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. Um, what else have we got there? Um, we've got um, War in Space. Yeah, this one was really interesting, mostly about you know the possible, well, not possible, the increase of um, using space for military warfare, and um, you know seeing different nations kind of testing out uh, you know war tactics in space and how how what that will look like and how we can kind of protect our assets in space. And it was really interesting, and um, you know so, some of the things that countries are already developing, um, you know, obviously like jamming GPS signals, or even um, Russia launching a mini, mini satellite off of another satellite in orbit that can be like a fragmenting warhead designed to kinetically kill a target satellite through peppering its surface with small pieces of debris. That's like a little quote from the um, article, but really interesting seeing, you know, interesting kind of cunning innovations in space and how... Um, specifically even the UK coming from a local perspective how they can pre- uh, prepare for a potential war in space um, and you know looking at what they're already doing such as the deep space advanced radar capability uh, which I think they're partnering with US and Australia and kind of developing this uh, really advanced um, high powered radar um, to you know detect what's nearby um, so yeah, that was that was a really interesting. I mean, you, you said earlier that the, you know, we're, we're launching so much mm. material into space at the moment. We're becoming increasingly reliant on satellites, exactly. but everything from changing the, the traffic lights to getting cash out cash point. You yeah. can see why this is becoming a target, so you know, a potential target. So, yeah. Yeah. and we all know the November 2021 anti-satellite test from yeah. Russia. So, it's not it's not not science fiction, but it's not just you know in our heads. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, somebody said to me pre-DSCI, uh, DSCI uh, sort of uh, reception that. Uh, uh, it's a bit like the uh, the NATO versus Russia Cold War anti-submarine yeah. game yeah. in the 1970s and 80s. You know, th- this is sort of a cat and mouse game that's going on now in orbit. People manoeuvring, uh, taking up positions, 
um, and uh, you know doing strange things and you're, you're trying to work out a pattern, sort of a pattern of life of is this is this something normal that's happening or are they positioning to do something yeah. and, and it's not just kinetic stuff as well I think we, we, we get obviously you know the idea of pew pew lasers or yeah. oh my god you might fire a missile at uh, something but it could be stuff like going uh, uh, going near another satellite and spraying stuff on the solar panels yeah yeah yeah. You blank the solar panels out or you spray stuff on the, the sensors. Yeah. You get close enough to do that. You've just yeah. wrecked, a, a wrecked a satellite or, you know, the clever stuff is to do it, do something like, you know, spraying solar panels and it's not it's not really sort of recognisable as a hostile act. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you're, all of a sudden the satellite starts deteriorating, its powers sort of dropping, what's happened? Yeah. yeah, really fascinating stuff. So, upcoming events and shadows. Let's turn to uh, what's happening in the future. What have we got coming up there? Who'd like to... Uh, we got a, a structures coming at our conference as this is being recorded. We got a structures conference, so that's going to be interesting from the, the point of view of wings. Exactly. We've got yeah. some of the, 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 the people who are working on the, 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 the uh, wings, uh, uh, aeroelastic wings. Uh, I think there's a bit of trust based wings uh, going there as well. Yeah, so fascinating. That's a, that's a fairly uh, academic conference. Uh, and then we've got Arius Hypersonics conference coming in on 17th to the 18th of October. Again, that's another growing uh, field uh, in, in terms of defence and people thinking about that. Hypersonics are uh, you know, in the news. Dubai Air Show in November. Uh-huh. Yep. So uh, the aerospace team will be out there at the Dubai Air Show in November. Uh, it's, I think it should be a, a pretty, pretty good show this year. And in terms of uh, aircraft orders, aircraft orders are coming back now in, uh, in, in droves. Um, we've just had, uh, I think it was Air France, yeah. uh, KLM this, uh, this week. Yep. Uh, Boeing announced, um, you know, Vietnam Airways was buying uh, some piece of Maxes. So that's really sort of turning it round from, you know, back, back after the after the COVID downturn. Lots uh, of wide body orders. Yeah, wide body orders are, are back. Uh, but I mean, obviously the manufacturers have still got this problem of uh, uh, engine uh, engine uh, engine issues and supply chain keeping up. And then we've got the Aureus Light Aircraft Design Conference uh, happening on 13th of November. They've got a competition that's just started. They have. They've just got a competition that's just gone live 2023 24, which is to this year to develop a aircraft to use for forest fighting or firefighting but also a multi-role aircraft that can also look at not just dispersing but actually getting dispersed to point A and point B so um, that's going to be interesting to see what what designs come out of that competition it's always interesting with the, the light aircraft design competition yeah. Uh, I posted this onto my Facebook page recently, and somebody shared a photograph of Dusty Crophopper, if you remember from uh, from the Disney Planes film, when he was turned into a fire firefighting <laughs> aircraft at one point. I'm not sure that's quite what we're looking for, but um, Dave Homewood, you know who you are. Right. <laughs> Okay, uh, so we're about to uh, sort of almost sort of wrap up now, but uh, a quick uh, round the room of uh, what have we been watching, reading, playing in terms of aviation content. Who wants to start off? Shall I go first? Yeah, go. Um, I've been reading a book called Bomber Boys, um, which is a big weighty tome of a book. Uh, I went to Oshkosh this year, as I'm sure you remember, and um, I stayed in a house out there with some aviation enthusiasts. A friend of a friend had rented a house. He got some spare rooms, so I, I took one of the rooms. Um, and this chap was actually the author of this book, actual John Slemp. And John has photographed in incredibly high definition World War II bomber jackets with the nose art that's on the back of them. But then he tells the story of the person who that jacket belonged to. 
both in terms of the missions that they flew, but also what they did after the war. And it's normally with a first-person interview with that veteran themselves or a member of their family. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So it's called Bomber Boys. And uh, John self-published this. And it's yeah. just... It, 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 I mean, it's heavy. It's a do-it-yourself hernia kit. I mean, you really, it's a massive book. Uh, but the, the production quality really is superb. Can, can concur. That, yeah. that's, I, I, love, I, love the, I love the vintage I love vintage aviation jackets. I love the nose art. And, mm. and, and putting it there with a personal history of... You know the, the pilots yeah. and the air crews and, and, and seeing that all on the page. No, that's that's a great great uh, stuff. Bella, what about you? Yeah, um, well, I'm about a year behind on this, but <laughs> <laughs> very recently on the plane, I watched um, the movie Devotion, which was Ooh, yeah, a yeah. true story about um, Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown it? and Tom Hudner. Yeah, 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 and the, yeah. The first black um, aviator in the U.S. Navy, and that was really interesting. It moved me a lot. It was. Uh, a really emotional movie, but... I think we all got some dust in our eye when yeah, we watched that yeah, film, yeah. definitely. So. Everyone was sleeping, and I was crying <sighs> yeah. in the plane. Um, the aircraft. I'm not allowed to say plane. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, that, that was a really, really good movie. Um, and then something that I can't give much on, because I haven't actually read it yet, but just yesterday, last night on my Kindle, I purchased um, Lift Off by Eric Berger, which is... Pretty sure the story of SpaceX and you know how it came about, um, and all years later. So I'm really excited to read that because it comes up on my Twitter or X feed all the time, and so I finally succumbed to peer pressure. Oh. I'm excited to read it. Brilliant. Um, and I, I've been watching a uh, I watched a, a film on Netflix uh, recently, The Bombardment, uh, which uh, if you are have you been reading or about to read. Uh, Roland White's new book on uh, Mosquito. Mm. You'd be familiar with that. It's the it's the uh, it's a film about the raid on Gestapo headquarters in uh, in Copenhagen uh, by RF Mosquitoes, and uh, it's told from the point of the view of uh, the sort of Danish civilians caught up in this, and, and not really much on so much on the, the RF side, but some really good uh, footage of uh, you know kind of. Mosquitoes, uh, but very, very harrowing. Uh, you know, being on the other side of that, it's a bit, a little bit like, uh, the, a little bit like the um, if you've ever uh, listened to the uh, the BBC radio drama Bomber, mm-hmm. uh, Len Dyer, of, of how harrowing that is. Of the, there's there's this looming threat uh, and uh, a, a sense of dread that is going to happen and you know yeah. bad things are going to happen and uh, you know um, really really good film there was some apparently pushback it from, from one of the the, the, the families actually of, of, of some of the RAF because it starts off I wouldn't give a game away but there was starts off with, with uh, uh, a, a, I think a fictional incident and uh, a, the pilot they, I think they maybe had to change the film slightly to, okay. because they they Implied that a certain pilot had done that, had done something that, oh, okay. um, you know, and uh, his, his family had kind of complained after that. I think they so they, they, they changed it uh, after the fact. Um, okay. But no, really, really good and film. And this is on Netflix. Really, yeah, really, really good film, uh, and sort of tells a story. And, and it's uh, yeah, it's from a civilian's point of view of uh, you know this sort of uh, raid. You know, mm. uh, so really good. Anything for you, Chris? I'm. I'm going to use my retirement to catch up on old friends that I haven't looked at in many years. Oh, your, your Putnam's collection? Certainly my Putnam's collection. <laughs> uh, the National Aerospace Library has an annual book sale. Yep. And over the years I've been buying books there, which uh, I've been ferrying home 
just recently and uh, uh, I'll be reading them. Uh, <laughs> I can make sure my wife doesn't see them. Be fine. Be fine. Brilliant. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to wrap up now uh, for the October October version of uh, NOTAM. Uh, so where, where can people keep up to date with the RES and the MAG? Steve, where, where are we? Um, we are on errorsociety.com. You see our Insight blog, which we do twice a week. Bella's going to be putting some of those up over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Um, um, on a personal level, I'm on Facebook, Stephen, uh, Stephen Bridgewater with PH. And I'm on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it this week, <laughs> at, uh, at R-A-E-S Steve B. Bella? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at R-A-E-S Bella R. Okay, I had to think about that one. <laughs> and I'm still, I'm still on uh, Twitter X. Uh, I'm uh, with uh, Aviation News and Bad Aerospace Jokes at Arias uh, Timor. So goodbye from us all, and we'll see you next month. Cheers, and good luck, Chris. Thank you. Goodbye. Thirty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs>